Hi, everyone, and welcome to the May 21st, 2021 episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor here at Automotive News Canada. My guest today has quite the resume. She started her career in the skilled trades 30 years ago, but she's been a municipal economic development officer, and she helped Canada's cannabis sector get off the ground. Now, she's the new president of the Canadian Association of Moldmakers and president of Automate Canada. So what's her plan in the short term? How and when might the border open to more essential automotive traffic? And what can someone learn from the cannabis industry that applies to the auto industry? We'll find out when I speak with Janine Lasselin Berglin on this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. Janine, thanks for joining me on the show this week. Listen, I'm thrilled to be included, so thank you for the invite. Anytime. Let's start here. Why this job? Why now? And what made it so attractive to you? Let's maybe start with why now. Sure. Both organizations have been through a strategic planning exercise. Uh, CAM has been around for, uh, we will be announcing our 40th anniversary, but for 40 years. So it's not an unknown entity, but I think the members had felt that they weren't getting the attention they needed and needed to up their game a little bit. As far as Automate Canada is concerned, uh, Automate Canada was born out of uh Canadian Association of Mold Makers. Um, as you can imagine, they're tremendous partners in the whole advanced manufacturing sector. So um, it's a it's a right time to be a part of things. Uh, coming off of a global pandemic, of course, where things have slightly stalled, um, you know, this is perfect timing to re-exhilarate all of these kinds of activities. For me personally, it's a bit of coming home. Um, so I've spent the majority of my career in manufacturing and did a, you know, a bit of a sidestep into uh, local municipal government and then into the cannabis industry. And I got to say, a large part of what I was doing in the cannabis industry was really introducing a new sector into existing automation and technology that already existed in other sectors. So this is a perfect segue for me to come home. You know, that that was a question on my list to ask you. And since you brought it up, let's let's go there. Um, You spent time in the cannabis industry. So I have to ask what skills or what experience gleaned in that industry translate to the auto industry and and to the mold making industry that you are now sort of a a leader in? Well, um, so I think it's not a secret uh, that this sector or the cannabis sector for sure is brand new. I mean, it's been about 90 years since they've taken a product from prohibition to commercialization. It's a recreational. I mean, it's been endorsed now. It's no longer an issue. Um, What's interesting to me, though, is there was a huge gap of knowledge. Um, Knowledge. We have a bunch of folks in investment banking and and in the investment world who know how to make money and saw this as an opportunity. We have a ton of people who are, you know, for the large part, uh, I'm going to call them agriculture. Uh, they know how to grow cannabis and and had lots of experience with different environmental conditions, et cetera. Um, where there's a nice segue here, though, is that it, for all intents and purpose, there was a lack of understanding how to scale this, how to make it sustainable, uh, you know, in a production environment, how to go about training people. And those are all skills that um, really we've taken from large scale manufacturing for years and we've taken them for granted. So being able to introduce this to a brand new industry, um, for the most part, uh, you know, post cultivation, certainly there is know how from the agriculture sector, primarily the uh, greenhouse sector that know how to 
maintain environmental controls in a closed environment. But once you cultivate it, what do you do with it next? And how do you possibly process uh, large scale quantities? So that's where those skills came in very handy, knowing how to launch uh, knowing what kind of controls to have in place, knowing how to build a plan. Those were all key and essential. Is that key and essential in, in automotive right now, in mold making and in um, automation as we move to more um, lightweighted vehicles, more autonomous vehicles? Like, Are there things in auto that you can now say, yeah, I, I sort of did that in cannabis? I would think it's the opposite. So, you know, where we're going with industry 4.0 principles, um, you know, really looking at large scale disruption using technology in uh, automotive manufacturing. And that includes right from the creation of materials for lightweighting vehicles, as well as the productivity and throughput in uh, manufacturing processes. So, you know, we're really still ahead of the game there. Where I saw opportunity in the cannabis industry is really exposing people on how to automate a line to reduce not only their labor costs, but certainly increase their skill requirements and look to have a a better base for employable skills that would, um, you know, support uh, a community for all intents and purposes. We weren't looking at low paying, low skilled jobs. So aside from the productivity benefits, there are spin-off benefits for community. And I think that one good thing coming is, is that they've adopted technology fairly quickly. They may also be ahead of the curve in adopting some of these industry 4.0 principles that we talk about. So in a way, it sharpened your skills. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So you come to a new position. Do you have a, a plan or a set of goals for your first 100 days? Say, how do you approach this position uh, at CAM and at Automate? I think I'm just going to wing it. <laughs> we know that can't be true with you. <laughs> no, uh, you know, as with anything that I do, I've got a long history of, of uh, excellence behind me and a long history of working with exceptional people with exceptional skills. And that is not different here. We do have uh, under our strategic portfolio, the team before me worked very, very hard on three pillars of activity. One is branding and collaboration in order to continue to spread the word about the importance of this these trade associations, if you will. Um, the other is skill development and talent, as we want to see um, folks gravitate towards the positions that will be available for the future, as well as be able to support the industry today. And the third one is the adoption of Industry 4.0 principles. So in some cases, it will be not only developing what those Industry 4.0 principles are for um, manufacturing at large, bridging, helping them bridge the gap to other industries like cannabis or agribusiness or healthcare or any of the other small sectors that exist out there. Um, and on the industry 4.0 principles, it will also be inviting current automotive suppliers to take a look at technology and not only how do they increase this and have a return on investment, but how may they access other opportunities for funding to be able to afford this in their in their organizations. So it's it's really a well-developed strategy with, you know, my job now is to take those strategies and develop action plans and uh, projects that will help support those three pillars of activities while still keeping an eye on the retention of our membership and making sure that our members are feeling value. You mentioned that there might be opportunities in other industries. Um, are there 
Are there members who are auto heavy that maybe don't see the opportunity elsewhere? Because um, mold making isn't just for automobiles. I mean, we've seen them make things for the health industry during this pandemic, for for example. So is part of your job to help them grow and diversify? And what does that do if companies that are auto heavy grow and diversify? Does it make them stronger here in Canada? Well, I think there's always a potential when you have diversification in your business portfolio to have, um, let's say, some uh, you not don't have all of your eggs in one basket. And, right. you know, anybody who's from this area has seen the rise and fall on multiple in multiple decades of what happens cyclically in the automotive industry. So diversification in a portfolio can be good where there are challenges business wise is I'm going to say on profit margin and affordability. So the people, particularly in ag that we're looking to partner with, may not have a profit margin that's healthy enough to let them afford large-scale innovation. Um, We want to be able to take those steps incrementally and be partners in that process. We don't necessarily just want to be sales folks going in and saying, you know, you should be using five-axis robots to pick peppers, for instance. That's not what this is about. This is about being on a journey and a path together, understanding challenges that other sectors face, um, knowing that we have know-how from a a fairly sophisticated sector in the automotive and advanced manufacturing market and bringing those uh, inspirations, if you will, to other markets and other sectors. Where does reopening the border rank in terms of things to do for you and your members at this moment? I assume it's high on the list. I just wonder where you're at with it right now. Well, um, one of the things that both CAM and Automate Canada started before I got here was uh, it started daily and then weekly meetings on just COVID, the impact of COVID in operations and specifically on crossing the border. Um, We've worked really hard with our members to understand the challenges that they have and then reached out to not only government partners, uh, but local partners who can help us move the dial on getting consistent answers and laying the groundwork for a consistent path to be able to cross the border. The biggest challenge has been the fact that everybody recognizes manufacturing as essential, and yet when it comes to crossing the border, um, border officials, because they're related in a different way to government, are not seeing the same uh, urgency to make sure that we have a cross-border sharing of skill and talent. So that's been a little challenging, but I am happy to say that, you know, we are moving the needle forward with the help of groups like Invest Windsor Essex, who have been really great partners in getting to our government um, officials and, you know, asking the questions that need to be asked on how do we actually accomplish this in this environment. Um, We are uh, right now putting together a package that we're going to be able to distribute to members, but we're hoping to be able to share it with industry at large on the steps that we feel um, have been successful in crossing the border, including letters of invite from U.S. customers right down to uh, a roadmap that shows border officials why a trip over, excuse me, across the border is essential and why coming back and not having to quarantine for 14 days is also essential for business continuity. So almost a a how-to guide, uh, how to cross the border successfully guide for your members. Absolutely. Um, You started your career in manufacturing in the skilled trades about 30 years ago. I'm curious, what was it like for a woman back then in manufacturing? Well, I don't want to speak out of turn. Okay. Um, but, but, and I don't want to put anybody on the spot. <laughs> I will tell you, 
um, you know, I've discussed this with peers in the past. For those of us who did this in the late 80s and early 90s, we didn't know we were breaking a ceiling. For all intents and purposes, some of us were just eager for an opportunity to do something different. Um, personally, you know, I was enrolled at the University of Windsor um, in the engineering department and wasn't finding a lot of satisfaction with that. Um, and I really just wanted, I, I got to tell you, I was likely burnt out um, and really wanted a change um, and didn't know that I would actually be really good with my hands. I'd already come from, uh, I would say, a rural family where uh, manual labor <laughs> and being able to do things at home was just kind of synonymous with our lifestyle. You right. know, we didn't go out for much. We learned how to fix things on our own. Um, both of my parents are very uh, self-taught, handy people. Um, so when it came time for me to be able to put food on the table and support myself, you know, I not continuing to go into debt with school loans, et cetera, I thought, ah, let's give this a try. And surprise, surprise, it was good. Now, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you it didn't come without challenges. I remember my dad sitting down with me and looking at me eyeball to eyeball and saying, listen, you're going to go into some uncharted territory here and you need to have a thick skin. So I don't want to hear you coming home and complaining about, oh, they said this or, you know, the environment is like this. If you're going to go this direction, then you need to be able to put up with it. Surprisingly to myself, I think it's largely because I have also a really good sense of humor. I didn't let things like that bother me so much. Um, I have a tendency to think that it doesn't matter who we are, um, whether you're a female in a male environment or you're just a person uh, who's underrepresented in a particular sector. If you're eager to learn, you have a, a good sensibility about you. Um, you know, you can laugh at yourself and, you know, respectfully laugh at others while you're going through the process. As long as you're continuing to learn and make progress towards your future, um, that brings with it confidence. And once you have confidence in what you're doing, other folks will pay attention to you and stand up and listen. So, uh, you know, I learned those lessons early in life, which I also think served my longstanding career in manufacturing. How much has changed since then? Is it a big difference now than it was when you started? Or do you still see some of the same situations and hear some of the same things that you sort of alluded to there when talking with your dad? Yeah, I think, well, I think certainly um, the, the times have changed only because, you know, our legislative practices in Ontario have also improved, right? We've, mm -hmm. we've got legislation now that talks more and is, is more, um, let's say, focused on safety. They're focused on violence and harassment in the workplace. I think young men that are coming up through the system uh, into the workforce also have been taught uh, better communication skills with, uh, with parity in the gender in the environment, you know, what to say, what not to say. So I, I think those things are changing. I think employers uh, right now, I don't think the challenge has been on employers necessarily adopting uh, folks that are underrepresented into a trade. I think it's still a matter of exposing young people to the careers that exist. Yep. And uh, quite frankly, getting into a skilled trade sometimes is uh, a challenge because there isn't a straightforward path. When you decide to go to college and university, you go to college, you go to university, you make your contacts, you look for a job. When you're doing skilled trades, sometimes it's hard to know where you should start. Um, and that is a gap that we're hoping to also be able to contribute to reducing uh, through the trade association itself. That's a topic we, we often hear is how do you get people into not just mold making and skilled trades, but auto in general. Um, I hope it's something that we can tackle on a on an upcoming 
podcast. Um, but I thank you for joining me on this uh, episode, Janine. It's been great to get to know you. I wish you luck uh, moving forward in your new position. Absolutely. Listen, again, I'm so honored and delighted to have been included. Greg, you're a great partner in this process. And if there's another time when we can uh, bring a group together and contribute to a cause, I'm all for it. We reached Janine at her home office in Brampton, Ontario. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, have a suggestion, or simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous podcasts on Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. Just click the Canada Conversations tab at the top of the homepage. That does it for this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody. 